Hey, and welcome to the Two Quarterbacks, One Team podcast over at FakePigskin.com. I'm Joshua Lake. This week, without my usual co-host, Josh Berger, he's out this week, but thankfully I've got a great guest here uh, with Benton McDonald. He's formerly of a couple of sites, including Fake Pigskin, but now newly acquired by DynastyLeagueFootball.com. They definitely got a good one over there, so I'm sad to see him go, but I've already enjoyed his first article over at DLF and looking forward to more. Benton McDonald, he's on Twitter at BigMac9812. So, Benton, how are you doing this evening? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Uh, Excited to be on the pod. Yeah, I'm glad you could make it. I got to listen to you over on another podcast with Chris uh, the other night, and glad to have you join us. Yeah, thanks, man. Me and Chris had a good time the other night on the Fantasy Rants podcast, I think it's called. Yeah, no, that was good stuff, and Chris also a former fake pigskin writer, so, uh, and then the the news today as we're recording is that Richard Janvrin uh, moved over to Bleacher Report, which is very exciting, so fake pigskin has kind of got people moving to really great things, so it's fun to see. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, before we really jump into things, tell me a little bit about your your new gig with DLF, DynastyLeagueFootball.com, what sort of things you'll be writing, what what people can expect to see from you over there. Yeah, so about two weeks ago, I want to say, me and 14 other guys, actually 13 other guys and one girl, Carla, she's really awesome and smart, we all got new writing jobs over at DLF, so we're kind of the newbies. But uh, I'm going to mainly focus on Dynasty strategy and doubt in, uh, Dynasty scouts. I'm starting to get more into college football and I'll also be dabbling in a little DFS strategy. Okay, very cool. That's going to be good stuff. And I know here later tonight we're going to talk about some of what you started doing with scouting some college quarterbacks, which is going to be really helpful, particularly for folks in Dynasty leagues or Devi leagues, knowing the, the big names that are coming up and some of the lesser known ones. So that's some good stuff. and. You've already got, I guess we'll just jump into, you had one article come out uh, on DLF talking about some training camp battles to watch. Uh, You had five of them, but the one I want to point out is kind of the Buffalo Bills quarterback situation. And if you will, just for people that haven't yet read the article, you can find it on DynastyLeagueFootball.com. But will you just kind of summarize your thoughts on that messy quarterback situation and what people can expect out of it? Yes, it's three quarterback competition. It's EJ Manuel, Matt Castle, and Tyrod Taylor. And I just, from everything I read and all the reports I've been hearing, it's just Matt Castle is just, he's kind of gone off the cliff. And I know he kind of should be the guy because they brought him in and he's a veteran, but I, I just don't think he's going to win that job. So if we cut out Castle, it's Manuel and Taylor. And Manuel, you know, he's the first round pick. It's his third year. Second with Sammy Watkins, first with Leeshawn. So you'd think he'd be progressing into it if nothing else, a decent starting quarterback in the league, very mediocre. But I, I just haven't seen it from him. I think the whole he's a first-round pick, so he's going to start is a little overrated. And I, I'm honestly just on Team Tyrod Taylor. Rex Ryan has said that he, he brought him in specifically. He wanted him in New York. I think he's. I think Taylor, although he hasn't had an NFL start yet behind Joe Flacco, I think he's going to get the job and see what he can do with it. It's going to be one of those interesting situations where we may not know until midway or later into preseason just because that seems to be kind of a, a messy, sloppy situation where no one is really pulling ahead so far. Yeah, and then um, as I said in the article, even whoever wins the job, I'm not going to advocate to go buy that guy because Buffalo is just going to run the ball. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to hear what Rex Ryan is talking about, how he's just buying all in into the running thing. And yeah, we'll, we'll run it 40 times a game. This is going to be great. And I don't know if they have the offensive line for it. I don't know if LaShawn McCoy is going to hold up to that. And I just don't know that they're really going to have any passing game to speak of, which is sad. I would love to see Sammy Watkins with a better quarterback situation. But like you said, regardless of who wins the job, I don't know that he's going to have a lot of fantasy relevance. So the other thing I want to talk about is, like you said, over at DLF, you're going to be getting into some dynasty scouting or dynasty scouts, which is looking at the college guys, looking at upcoming prospects and, I don't think we have a whole lot of Devi listeners, so there probably aren't a lot of guys that are stashing college players now, but we have quite a few dynasty players who, if they're really ahead of the game, are kind of thinking, who are the the quarterbacks coming out next season? And they're trying to think as far as, do I want to have high picks next year in a two-quarterback league? Are there quarterbacks I should be excited about? And I've seen on Twitter, just with chatting with you, that I know you've been watching a lot of tape and looking at some of the college guys before the season gets started. Are there any particular college quarterbacks that you've really been watching lately and have some thoughts on? Yeah, so the upcoming class, 2016, and quarterbacks, it's definitely one of the deeper ones we've seen in the last couple of years. Because the last couple, it seems to be top-heavy or just one or two guys that maybe have a shot. And then a bunch of late-round flyers. But this class definitely has some awesome potential. There'd probably be four or five first-round arms, if I had to guess. Three guys I want to highlight are Jared Goff from Cal, Christian Hackenberg from Penn State, and Jacoby Brissett from North Carolina State. So I'll go ahead and jump into it. I'll start with Christian Hackenberg. He was like the number one five-star recruit out of high school. He's going into his third year as a starter. Two years ago under Bill O'Brien with fantasy community's favorite Allen Robinson. He did pretty well. He showed flashes. Then last year he just kind of fell apart. According to the guys over at College Football Focus, which is the college football affiliate of Pro Football Focus, among Power Power 5 conference QBs, Hackenberg finished with the worst pass run and overall grade, tied for the most sacks taken, and threw the second most interceptions. So, his, <laughs> Sounds like a good season. Yeah, his 2014 was bad, but from what I've seen on film, he's I see the flashes, but he's nowhere near a first-round pick at this point for me. He's got to deal with pressure. I know that Penn State line is awful, but the second he sees pressure, he just turns into a terrible quarterback. And I've seen him. I've seen the NFL arm people have raved about when he's given time and he can step up, he can make he can make the throw. But he's got to learn to not just stare down one guy. He's got to learn to do the multiple reads because that's a skill you just have to have in the NFL. And it's it's concerning to hear something that sounds almost like the David Carr syndrome, that when you get sacked so many times, it really changes the way you drop back into the pocket. And that's concerning because if Hackenberg is drafted early, like some people are projecting, he may go to a really bad team where there's a decent chance he is still under a lot of pressure. He doesn't have great options. He's not on a real functional team. Is that something that would concern you if he does go to a team that doesn't have a great setup, that isn't real stable, that doesn't give him a clean pocket? Yeah, that's definitely concerning. And, I mean, keep in mind all this tape is from last season. He's still got one more season to play, so we'll definitely be keeping a close eye on him. But I just think he has to develop more. I think he can develop. He's just not ready right now to be an NFL quarterback. One thing you touched on a little bit is just how different last season was compared to his 2013. And... I don't follow, so I don't watch a lot of college football. I dig into the numbers and look at the stats side of it, but 
it's kind of a an agreement with my wife since Sundays are just gone to football. <laughs> Saturdays I don't watch a whole lot. So is there anything that you've seen on tape that it, it accounts for why there was such a difference between his his two seasons? Uh, he got a he got a new coaching staff. He had built the 2013 is freshman season. He had Bill O'Brien, who's now the head coach of the Texans, who's a pretty well known offensive coordinator, and he had Allen Robinson, who I mean that would be nice for any freshman quarterback to have a receiver like Robinson. Sure. So 2014, I think the offensive line worsened from what I've heard, and a new coaching staff, the loss of his best receiver, he, he was just setting up to regress. Now, you mentioned Jared Goff, and that's a guy, so I am in one Debbie league and a few different dynasty leagues, and Goff is a guy that I have definitely been keeping on the radar. I liked his initial stats. I liked the potential. I liked that he was highly rated coming out of high school. But what have you seen when you've been looking over him? What, is, what does his tape suggest he's going to be in terms of an NFL prospect? I really like Jared Goff, and I think he's going to gain steam into this season and into the draft season. He's got a really good arm. He's the most accurate player I've watched on film. He can just zing the ball in there. He's probably the best quarterback I've watched so far, but he's he's still a little skinny. He's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, I want to say. He's just got to grow into that frame, and that's kind of natural for a 20-year-old kid, right? So I think if he can if he can keep his arm talent up and grow into his frame, he can definitely be a first-round pick, maybe even top 10. Okay, and that's that's essentially what you're looking for in drafting a quarterback, whether it be in a one-quarterback dynasty league or two-quarterback. the I dug into the numbers some this offseason, and plenty of other people have, but it really shows that the high draft picks are the ones that are going to get a chance to succeed. And that's just because the NFL, one, there's kind of a, a cause and effect that once they draft them high, they want to play them. But also, the NFL has a pretty good system for evaluating quarterbacks, and the ones that go high are typically the better quarterbacks. So it'll be interesting to see if Goff works his way up into that top 10 discussion as we get closer to next year. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the list of quarterbacks drafted after the fifth round in the last four years, that'll tell you all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, everyone remembers the, the Tom Brady, the Tony Romo, Russell Wilson more recently, but... They are the very rare exceptions. The one that you mentioned that I don't know almost anything about, I had to do some research myself after you mentioned him, is Brissett. I've looked at him some. I see that he was at a, at a bigger school or a better football school and transferred. And looks like he's going into his senior year, but what can you tell me about him? Yeah, he transferred to North Carolina State from Florida, I want to say, but I'm not sure. But he's been getting a bunch of steam on Twitter and in the draft community, it seems, basically just this offseason. But I watched him, and I see I see it a bit, but I, I'm a little worried about his translation to the NFL. He's just one of those college quarterbacks. You know, he can drop back, he can make the throws, he can make the progressions. But the way his ability is choosing to run so fast when the play starts is scary to me. And some of his balls, I just, I'm worried about him at the NFL level. But I think... With the hype he's gaining, he might become one of those guys that's more popular in the in the draft community than he is in the NFL community. We've seen that phenomenon, I guess less so with quarterbacks just because there are fewer that come into the draft, but we certainly have seen that draft Twitter and just Twitter at large really focuses in on guys, and they may end up even going undrafted in the NFL for various reasons. And some of those end up hitting, that the undrafted guys can come out and look good. Isaiah Crowell is an example that, although he's not lighting the world on fire, even though he didn't 
do well in the draft, he's still turning into a pretty valuable commodity like much of draft Twitter knew. But there are others. Um, this year we have some undrafted guys um, who are just barely struggling to make the team, and it's kind of hard to know when draft Twitter is going to get things right and when they're going to get them wrong. Um, Brissett's one that I'll have to look into some more. I, I appreciate you bringing up his name. If you were if you were going to guess, do you think he becomes NFL viable at some point? Yeah, I, I think he'll get drafted. I don't, I don't think he's going to go undrafted. He's a, he has he has good enough arm talent to get drafted. I'm not. I would probably project right now second to third round. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to say first right now. Well then, yeah, that definitely makes him an interesting name to keep an eye on and in, into quarterback dynasties and things like that. So one question that we normally ask guests is what your your background is just generally in fantasy football, what got you into it, how long you've been playing, if anything's changed over the years, but then also more specifically, what about the two quarterback and super flex formats? How did you get into those, and what is it about them that appeals to you? Yeah, my uh, general fantasy background, I probably started playing six, eight years ago just with my buddies, just kind of messing around, you know, because we like football, you know, might as well try this out. But then... Two years ago, right around this time, actually, August of 2013, I kind of discovered Dynasty. I'm not even sure how, but I stumbled upon it, fell in love, and my first league was on ESPN. Haha, jokes, jokes. <laughs> and then it was, it was a super flex, so I just kind of jumped into that. I wasn't really sure. I think I took Drew Brees seventh overall. It's my first ever Dynasty pick. So nice. my first, so it was, my first league was just super flex, and I. And then my second league was Superflex, so I, it was just kind of the format I liked and that kind of rolled my way. With the few years of Superflex, do you have a strategy that you would say is kind of your ideal? I mean, drafts may not fall to you. You may not have exactly the roster you want. But do you typically key in on trying to get two really top-end quarterbacks if you can? Are you looking for one really high one and streaming the second position? How does, how does that Superflex position affect what you're trying to do with your teams? It seems whenever I do a Superflex draft or a mock, I like to get my guy in the first, whether that be Rodgers, Luck, or maybe Wilson even. And then I'll usually get my second around the fourth to sixth range. I don't like to wait super long because I just think if I can get another above-average player like a Tony Romo type as my 2QB, that's, that's the way I like to go. One of the things that... I say a lot on Twitter and on here on the podcast is it's one of the things I enjoy about two quarterback and super flex formats is that there's so many more options for what you can do with your team strategy than there are in one quarterback leagues that you have a lot more flexibility. There's a lot more viable strategies. If you talk about a one quarterback league, the late round quarterback thing is such an entrenched thing. It's an entrenched approach now that it's almost accepted that you need to do that to be a top-level player. Whereas in two-quarterback, I don't think it's nearly that clear what the optimal strategy is. Yeah, um, I wrote an article a couple months ago back when I was at DynastyNerds.com talking about contrarian strategy in Dynasty. And the first one I wrote about was early-round quarterback because it is contrarian. Now, no one goes early-round quarterback in Dynasty. Sands, you're getting Roger Luck in the third or fourth. It's, It's basically extinct. Yeah, and that's it's a remarkable transformation because it was only five years ago. I mean, I so I've been doing this for twelve years now. I think fantasy football, and it it was definitely four or five years ago that the shift really started happening. Because up until then, it was 
running backs and quarterbacks, you liked getting those. The receivers were kind of an afterthought because PPR was still kind of a, a newer approach, a newer scoring system that people weren't doing, and quarterbacks were just so essential. And part of that is just that the NFL has been changing, that there's much higher passing volume for all the teams. But I agree with you. It's, it's incredibly contrarian to go early quarterback. It's just not something we really see. Yeah, I don't I do. I've done a decent amount of startup mocks or MFL ten best balls, or even I think I did two dynasty starts this offseason. I grabbed Aaron Rodgers in a considerable few of them, just because the consistency he offers at a relatively good price for the production you're getting for him is. I don't like to pass that up. I think that's one of the under undervalued things is that with Rodgers, and I, I think luck is is absolutely there as well, is you know that for several years to come, you're going to get that consistent performance. It's essentially the argument people make for wide receiver in Dynasty is that they have long career spans. Well, the same thing is true for quarterbacks, that if you get one of those great ones, you know, barring injury, he's going to play for years to come, not like a running back. Right, like Matthew Stafford, I think he's 27, and that's young to me because he can play for 10 more years probably. And you can't say that about any, any other position. Right, right, absolutely. So let's talk. There wasn't a whole lot of quarterback news this week, but one piece of information that has come across is that Sam Bradford has started camp healthy. Uh, he said that his knee isn't really bothering him, that he feels better than he even expected. And their first day of camp, he took all the first-team snaps, and from what I've been hearing, it looks like he's, he's kind of hanging on to that, that it looks like he's pretty clearly getting the first-team snaps. They're looking to make him start. What's your take on on Bradford this season? First, as far as the health, that would kind of be guessing, right? But if if he's healthy and if he's playing, what do you expect to see out of Bradford? Yeah, there's no – I don't think there's any chance Mark Sanchez – beats him out so I think it's his job now I'm just gonna go say that and I like Bradford this year he's cheap his ADP right now is I'm looking at your two QB ADP he is QB 21 from July that's really cheap and if you're passing on Sam Bradford because and your reason is because he's injured his knee you just stop like you can't you can't use prior injuries as an excuse so there's all players in the NFL are injury-prone. Aaron Rodgers is injury-prone. So I like Bradford a lot. We've seen worse QBs produce in Chip Kelly's offense, and he's cheap, so why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on several of those points. I, I last offseason, wrote a, a piece about Sam Bradford and how I liked him even in a bad Rams offense because the talent is still there, although we haven't really seen it. And even in 2013, in his limited production for the Rams, he was still putting up good numbers. But yeah, you throw him into a system where Nick Foles was an elite quarterback, and there's plenty of possibility there. And the injury thing, I, I talked about it last week on the podcast, but the, as the saying goes, you're only injury prone until you're not. Like, it's just, it's not really a thing. We we thought that Matthew Stafford a few years ago was injury prone and never going to play a full season, and now he's just assumed to start 16 games. And with the knee injuries, when you have bad ACL, MCL sort of things, what it sounds like from the doctors that share about this sort of thing, it seems like there's maybe a 10% increased risk to your knee, which isn't that significant. Like you said, every NFL player has got a risk of injury. You just don't know when someone's going to go down. That's not a good reason to be passing on Bradford. Yeah, and the Eagles offensive line is considerably better than the Rams offensive line. And if and Sam Bradford is the best of 
Foles, Mark Sanchez, and Michael Vick. He's, I'd take him over. And Matt Barkley. And Tim Tebow. Sorry, I'm rambling. <laughs> I don't know about the Tebow thing, but I was with you until that. <laughs> no, I I think that whoever starts in this offense is going to have some potential. I do think that they could take a step back from last season with Chip's idea of I'm just going to let everybody walk away, that I think there'll be some transition. I don't think that Nelson Aguilar is going to come on and be Jeremy Macklin for this offense right away. I I don't know that they're going to start off the season quite as strong as people are expecting, but I think that down the road this is going to be a solid team that you want pieces of. So if that's Bradford, great. Um, I guess I'll clarify and say thinking that Bradford will re-injure his knee is a really terrible reason to pass on him. If you were thinking a, a few days ago or a couple weeks ago, I'm not sure that his knee is healthy yet. That was a legitimate reason, and that's yeah. why I want to keep an eye on camp news and see. I mean, it's great that he's saying it's healthy, but let's kind of see what it looks like, see him through some preseason action. That's a more legitimate reason to be concerned about him. Yeah, and if I can bring up one more little news topic. There's Please. Been, there's been stuff floating around that Marcus Mariota hasn't thrown an interception through six days at Titans camp. And if when I'm reading that, I'm not, I'm not thrilled for joy at that one because – if anything, that shows he's probably being conservative and trying not to throw interceptions and kind of Alex Smithing it. It's a good point, and it's one of the arguments that you can make for Jameis Winston's fantasy potential this year is that he has that kind of bullish confidence of, I don't care if I throw two or three interceptions, I'm still going to lead us down the field on the next drive. And that leads to, I mean, when you're talking about most leagues that have that minus two for an interception, who cares if the next drive your quarterback can get you six, seven points and the interception keeps you needing to pass? That's, I mean, that's, isn't that Andrew Luck, essentially? It's the difference between him and Rodgers is Luck's interceptions, kind of some of his weaknesses, lead to higher volume. Yeah. And, uh, so and, uh, it's an interesting point. Go ahead. Uh, that kind of proves the whole, the whole thing about Marietta we heard during draft season, that he's kind of robotic. He's... He's the guy that colors inside the lines. He takes a snap. He knows every read. He's kind of a robot, and he just throws to his reads that are open. And Unlike most quarterbacks that have to improvise, like Tony Romo, but I kind of like the Tony Romo types because they can make the big plays. And a guy like Mariota, the clone type, that's just dropping back like a robot every time. That kind of scares me. Yeah, and it's it's concerning as well. So I will say that my article just came out today about three near-free near quarterbacks that you could target this year and Mariota was one of them, and one of the points that I drew out is that it seems like, just if you want to believe the talk, that Ken Wisenhunt is going to let Mariota do more of that. He's compared him to Russell Wilson and Cordell Stewart and said these are guys that excel because they could do things when the play broke down. They could be flexible. They bring an additional element, and if Mariota himself in his own mind is the limiting factor, that that would definitely reduce his fantasy value. Yeah, he'll be interesting to watch because that, that Oregon offense, I feel like, was built towards him and he knew it by heart. So it'll be interesting to see him in the NFL. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. He'll be one that I want to keep an eye on. And I think the preseason will be very important for him particularly. I think with Winston, we have a pretty fair idea of what he's going to look like. But Mariota, I'm really curious what he's going to look like in the NFL. So the big piece of news this week was Arian Foster um, with the groin injury that I mean, just sounds awful, not something you wish on anyone. But for fantasy purposes, 
obviously that hurts because Foster was a, definitely a second round running back, kind of sneaking into the first round in some best ball drafts, a lot of best ball drafts. And that has been talked about quite a bit on Twitter, on podcasts, on the web. But I guess the question I want to pose to you is, what do you think of the rest of that offense? What do you think it does to DeAndre Hopkins? What do you think it, the team is going to look like on offense now that Foster is out? Do you see any sort of value there? I, it's a huge blow to the entire offense. I I don't think – people are saying that Hopkins is going to get 200 targets now that he's gone. If anything, I think he's going to get less targets. I just – I don't know how that offense is going to function with an already terrible quarterback and Ryan Mallett or Brian Hoyer. Is he the other one? Yeah, and, it's a mess. So now they don't have their best player, and I'm I'm worried about Hopkins, but – uh, it's it's bad. Yeah, and it's just it could be ugly. I was I was tweeting about it the other night that I could see them losing a lot of games in the like twenty four to six range, twenty one to ten. Like their defense is so good that I don't think that they will get blown out often. But they're just not going to put up any points. They've got bad quarterbacks now. They have bad running backs. Beyond Hopkins, they really have a lot of question marks at receiver. It it could get really ugly for that offense now that Foster's out. Yeah, and they didn't even sign Pierre Thomas. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some curious stuff going on there. That Pierre Thomas doesn't have a team, is thir- at 30, I believe, and is like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to take that contract. I want to get more money. I, I guess I just don't understand the thought process there. But uh, Foster's coming back week 10, so if you're – a contending team in a redraft league, I probably wouldn't hold him all that, but if you want to pick him up week six, seven, maybe just see what he does for the for your championship run, why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. Um, a guy I was talking with was sending me a few messages asking, is it worth it to draft Foster? And I said, probably not. Like, unless you have really crazy deep benches or it's a really deep league, I don't think you want to hold someone until that 10th week. But I, I'm totally with you that – come week six, seven, you want to be thinking about it. And who knows whether he comes back when he's scheduled to, if he's recovered. I mean, a groin injury with all the cutting a running back does, you don't know if he's going to come back fully healthy, but he's such a consistent elite producer when he's healthy that, yeah, roll the dice if you're looking at getting to the playoffs. I like that. Yeah, I'm not sure as, I'm not sure how he's going to run after the details of the surgery I heard about. Oh, I, I try not to read about it. So moving on from the news, because it has been a little bit slower as far as quarterbacks are concerned. There's been a lot of news with injuries and ascending and descending players. But particular to quarterbacks, the topic that we like to ask a lot of guests, and I'll ask you, is are there any quarterbacks that are going pretty late in drafts right now that you're really excited to draft or someone that you think is slipping way too far and might provide a value to drafters this year? There's a bunch in the 12 to 24 range that I would take. Let me me list off a couple. Phil Rivers at 14, Teddy at 15, Joe Flacco at 16, Jameis Winston at 20, Sam Bradford at 21, and a little farther down, RG3 at 26. Okay, so that's quite a few, and... I guess I'll ask the question generally and then let you get into specific players. But generally, do you think that they are being drafted behind players that they should not be drafted behind? Or is it more that you would like to take them in addition to some other quarterbacks because you think there's a possibility they do better, but it's not guaranteed? 
Um, no, I, I'm good with the, the top 12 quarterbacks, which seem to be consensus. I won't say them, but I'm good with all those guys. I'm not in disagreement with any of those dudes in the top 12, but just these guys in 12 to 24 range, they're pretty cheap. Rivers and Flacco can give you top 12 production with the targets they have and the receivers and the offensive coordinators. I'm not worried about them producing, and they're cheaper, so why not wait? So with a couple of those guys, let me ask you about Flacco. He's not one that we've talked about on the podcast recently, and I I personally am torn, so I've been going back and forth on my rankings where to put him because on one side I've historically liked Flacco. I think he's underrated. One thing you want out of a, a quarterback two at least I do in a two-quarterback league, is you want consistency. I want my QB3 to have the upside, but QB2, I want to be a guy I know can plug in week, whatever week I need him. And Flacco is that. But then on the other hand, he's lost so much of his offense. He's lost a coach. Torrey Smith is gone. Um, he has Steve Smith, who's aging, and a rookie that's coming in. And I just really am not sure what the production will look like. So talk to me a little bit about why you like him this year. Uh, he's... He lost Gary Kubiak, which sucks because Gary Kubiak's awesome. But he gained Mark Trestman, the guy that was in Chicago the last two years, who has a brilliant offensive mind. Trestman has stated that they're still going to run Kubiak's offense, which is a little weird, but I, I guess that's okay. But So Flacco's going to go in with Justin Forsett, who's a great receiver out of the backfield. The first-round rookie, Brashad Perryman. The third-round rookie, Max Williams at tight end. And... Who's their wide receiver, too? Kamar Aiken, maybe? Yeah, or Marlon Brown. It's I, I don't think it's real clear yet. Yeah, but I just think with the weapons he has, and if, if they're running either Tressman or Kubiak's offense, I'm fine with either of those. We saw what Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey have done the last two years, and I think Perryman is ready for year one and Max Williams, even though he's a tight end. So I don't see any reason for Flacco to digress. And yeah, like I said, he's a really he's a tough one for me to rank this year. I usually end up with him in that kind of 16-ish range, but I could see it really going either way. So I, I hear where you're coming from. It'll be interesting to see this year. Um, the other one, so I mentioned Winston a minute ago, kind of contrasting him with Marcus Mariota. I think he's a name you mentioned. What is it you like about him this season in relation to his current price? I like the weapons a lot, Mike Evans and Vincent Jackson and Austin Severian Jenkins. And I think a number one pick, so he's going to get all the opportunity in the world. And he's the best rookie quarterback in the last three years, I want to say, because the guys last year weren't good. So if Derek Carr can throw 20 touchdowns in his rookie year, I don't, it's not crazy to say Winston throw 25-26. And I know 25, I believe, would be tied for the highest, maybe the highest ever in that's the argument I've seen always on Twitter is why would you project this guy to have the best rookie season ever? I mean, it's the passing league. They're gonna they're passing more than ever. He has an arm. He has two guys that can just go up and get it. It doesn't have to be super accurate. Why not why can't he throw twenty five touchdowns? Yeah, and I don't think that their running game is gonna be a strength of the team. I don't think that Doug Martin or Charles Sims is gonna take a whole lot of touchdowns away. They'll get some, but I do think there's definitely the potential there, and if they can move the football, then like you said, they've got the uh, the tall, big targets that two years ago Winston really proved he can excel with those really large receivers. He did that at Florida State, so I, I do think I've been warming on him. I don't think he is 
the best talent, or he, I don't think he's as good a talent as some make him out to be, but I also think he could be in for a pretty solid rookie season. Yeah, and I, I think that the way the league's going also projects him a lot higher than other talented quarterbacks that would come in. Like, if we put rookie Peyton Manning into 2015, he would throw 30 touchdowns. Oh, for sure. For sure. The league is completely different. For better and worse, I think for better, there's a lot more passing. The receivers are bigger. They're more talented. But also, for worse, some of the lesser quarterbacks getting thrust into to starting day one, that's not a good trend. That's something that I don't think serves the lesser tier quarterbacks well. That doesn't apply to Winston, but someone like Blake Bortles last year really wished the Jaguars could have let him sit for a little longer. I don't think that benefits him to get thrown in quite so quick. Any of the other quarterbacks you mentioned that really stand out to you, someone that you want to kind of mention it or highlight for being undervalued right now? Yeah, Robert Griffin III is one guy I'm looking at. He's going to go in there with Jay Gruden. He's, this is his fourth year, I believe. So last year, he just hasn't been healthy the last two years. He had that incredible rookie season. He His first season, his first healthy season with Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon. So uh, he's QB 26. He's playing Alex freaking Smith. Like, why are you not taking the upside of RG3 instead of taking Alex Smith, you know? Yeah, and that's – he. so Griffin is another one that was in the article I just um, published saying that, yeah, at that price, that is – basically free when you're talking about like you said the 26th quarterback off the board that's what's what's your loss I mean if he is just as bad as everyone expects him to be you dump him and say cool I'll get someone off waivers you've got nothing but upside at that price and I don't so I I have an article at fake pigskin saying I'm not going to draft him I don't think he's going to do well but at the price you've got nothing to lose yeah like you said you're QB3 you want to target upside yeah, absolutely, and he and he has that. I mean, the rookie season showed it. Jay Gruden was able to make Andy Dalton the top five quarterback. He's got, like you said, Deshaun Jackson, Garcon there. There are pieces there to suggest that there is potential upside. Whether it hits or not, who knows? But yeah, target that upside. I want to go ahead and transition us over to a segment we've been doing for several weeks now. We call it the quarterback rap battles, taking two very mediocre quarterbacks and mediocre is probably being generous to some of these guys um that last week we had geno smith and robert griffin the third and to my great surprise geno smith won the vote over rg3 and is moving on to this week so i'll, I'll be kind of highlighting some of geno smith's upside and some of the positive characteristics and you're going to be taking Derek carr telling us why we should believe in the raiders offense this year so the point for anyone that hasn't listened, the point of this segment is not to say these are elite quarterbacks, that these are guys to be targeting. We are specifically saying head-to-head between these two guys, give us a reason to take one over the other. So in that context, Benton, talk to me about Derek Carr. Tell me what is one point, we'll kind of go back and forth, but what is one point in Derek Carr's favor as far as why we should be thinking about him? Okay, he had an, an elite rookie season. Let me throw out a couple of stats here. Since 1920, Sam Bradford's the only player to complete more passes than Carr as a rookie. And Carr threw, Carr threw three more touchdowns than Bradford, three less interceptions, and had ten less sacks. I mean, I, I like to value production in history, and if he has one of the top rookie, season, rookie seasons in history, I mean, why not? That's a good upside for me. That's an interesting point, and some of the stats, 
those stats are not the ones that are normally talked about with Derek Carr. Normally we hear about how short his passes were, how safe he was, that kind of thing. But that's interesting to talk about the volume. the lack, And the lack of sacks really surprises me, given that we don't think of the Raiders as really functional on either side of the ball. Kind of flipping over to, to Geno Smith, I'll, I'll reiterate something that our guest Anthony Amico brought up last week, that they have a new a new coordinator in town, Chan Gailey. And Chan Gailey, two of his more recent quarterbacks that he's had were Tyler Thigpen and Ryan Fitzpatrick, neither of which is thought of as these really elite guys. But Chan Gailey was able to turn them into an average of QB 18 in points per game. And so what that is is Anthony took the points per game they scored in their respective seasons and said if they did that in 2014, where would it have finished? And QB 18 isn't anything amazing, but when, kind of like we were saying with RG3, Geno Smith is also essentially free. Last I checked, he was like the 29th quarterback off the board. And if Chan Gailey has made really bad quarterbacks finish right around the top 20, there's plenty of room for Geno Smith to finish better than his 29th draft slot. And that's not saying a whole lot, but it is saying there's some upside there. Talking about QB3s and wanting to chase upside, that suggests that even if he's as good as Tyler Thigpen, there's some upside there. So that's one argument in his favor. What do you got for Carr? He was 7th in the NFL last year in attempts, and he's gaining Amari Cooper, who is basically the receiver you would want for a young quarterback that doesn't throw very deep balls and is looking to establish himself. Yeah, and Amari Cooper is, I I don't know that there would have been a better fit for Carr because that's really where Cooper excels, right, is in that short game, is in getting separation. He's really a technician. That's more his game than the, the deep ball. So I think that's a great fit for Derek Carr. So for Geno Smith, I think we could point to something similar, that he also added a weapon this year, that Brandon Marshall is now on the team, and that the Jets last year really struggled in the passing game. Eric Decker was able to put up some really decent numbers, but beyond that, they really didn't have a lot of weaponry. Brandon Marshall, while he is aging a little bit, he's had some definite injury problems. Um, staying health, He's had trouble staying healthy over the last few years. He is a far better talent than anyone outside of Decker has been for Geno Smith. And I think that addition will help. I think having a veteran to really say, here's what a passing game should look like, here's how we should be doing this, I think the addition of that and Chan Gailey is only going to bring better things for the offense. Also, we can talk about Jason Morrow is going into a second year. He's going to be better than he was last season. There's a reason to hope Devin Smith, a new receiver, I'm kind of going on and on, but... The weapons around Geno Smith are better than he's ever had in his career. So if there's going to be a time that we see a step up from Smith, this is going to be the year. Yeah, and back to Carr, I think he had worse weapons than Geno last year. He had Kimbrell Tompkins, Darren McFadden, Daenerys Moore, Bryce Butler. So this year he's got Amari Cooper. He's get, they signed Michael Croucher in the offseason. They almost got Randall Cobb. And they drafted tight end Clive Walford in the third round. And they also got they also signed passback pass-catching back Roy Hillou Jr., so, and they're getting a healthy Rod Streeter back. So his weapons are definitely improving, as are Geno's. Yeah, and I think that Rod Streeter is a name that I think people should be aware of. I've taken him late in a couple of drafts. I don't know that he's going to turn out, but I think that Rod Streeter is a really interesting guy to keep an eye on, that if this Raiders offense does improve, if Carr 
really continues to produce. I think Rod Strader could get really interesting pretty quickly and is also in that essentially free tier. So he's someone that I'm not going to get into. Uh, we try to focus on the quarterbacks here, but keep Rod Strader on your radar. Do some, some research into his numbers. I think he's a name that you should be keeping an eye on this year. Yeah. So for, for Geno Smith, the last thing that I, I will point out is that I think he has a lot more job security than any of the quarterbacks, or most of the quarterbacks would be a better way to put it. Most of the quarterbacks that are going right around him at the bottom of the barrel. The, the report just a week ago was that Geno Smith should get half a season. That was Jason Lockonflora from CBS saying that he expects the Jets will give Geno at least quote, a solid half season, end quote, to really show that he deserves the job. And I think that that's more than you can expect for a lot of the quarterbacks down in that tier. There's talk just today that Johnny Manziel may have more of a shot than we believed in Cleveland. So maybe that job's not totally secure. Um, The Bills, we just said, who knows? The Texans, we said, who knows? RG3, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's starting for an eight full weeks or for the first eight weeks of the season. Gino, I think, has, because they want to see what they have in him, I think he has some of the better job security for the first half of the season out of all those low rung quarterbacks. So there's going to be a chance that you can see him for a couple of weeks before you decide whether to start him because I think you're going to have that opportunity. Yeah, I don't think Bryce Petty serves much of a chance. And I'm excited about Gino, you know. I know it's a QB rap battle, but I'm not going to hate. I'm not hating on Gino. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. So last thoughts on Derek Carr um, before we move on. Is there anything else you really see that we should highlight out of him? He had 18 touchdowns in the red zone, which was fifth in the NFL, along with a 60% completion rating in the NFL with those targets that I pre- with those receivers that I previously mentioned. So, he can keep up his success in the red zone with Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, Roy Hallou, Rod Streeter. I mean, he can just improve on his touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, kind of taking your approach and saying, I'll step out of the, the, the battle a little bit. But Derek Carr is a guy that I like the talent coming out of college. I wrote quite a few things about him last year. And people have hated on him a lot. They've talked him down. But I, I agree with you. I think there's potential there. I think there's some stats to suggest that even in a bad situation, he performed well. So I'm real interested to see where he ended up. So we'll kind of come down to the end. And we don't have Berger here. He's been the tiebreaker for us. Uh, last week, he was the tiebreaker. But between the two of us, essentially what we do, and I'll, I'll put the question to you first, if you were choosing between these two, so we're talking just an utter vacuum, not going to say anything about what the rest of your roster looks like, but from their draft position, you could tell you're probably looking at a QB3. If both Derek Carr and Geno Smith are staring you in the face, what are, which one are you going to be drafting? Uh, I'm going to have to fall on the sword here and take Geno. Okay, and what's the, what's the thought process there? Touchdown upside is their better team, slightly. Even Both those teams are pretty bad. And Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker are really good. And I really like Chan Gailey, so there's, I know Geno might not be the best quarterback, but there's not much to like with this not much to not like with this situation. I think you you put it really well. I I would go Geno, which this is the reverse of their ADPs. Derek Carr is definitely going ahead of Geno Smith in most drafts. So for me, it's it's a lot of what you said that I think the situation is there. I think that. I, I guess the the point I will put on it is that I see a much higher upside from Geno Smith than I see from Derek Carr this season. 
that I not in terms of probabilities, but just as far as pure upside, what they could accomplish. Like we said earlier, if you want to chase that upside at QB3, I think Geno's the guy to do it. He has more rushing ability. I think he has a higher passing upside in this offense than Carr has this year. And I don't know whether it'll happen or not, but I do think he has the potential to get to a better finish than Carr does. So it sounded like you had kind of another thought on that. Yeah, and I think that ADP is just higher because Carr was a rookie last year, and rookies tend to be higher in ADP because dynasty owners love young players. It's it's very true, and it's been interesting to see over the last few years that his dynasty has taken on um, more public. It's gotten more publicity. It's been more talked about. I think there's more people trying it. You definitely see that youth movement spill over from dynasty into redraft for better and worse. So before we kind of wrap things up, just for fun, you were you were talking the other night uh, about how I met your mother, power ranking the not not NFL players, but how are ranking the How I Met Your Mother characters? And, and you, I'm sorry, the core five character, the core five, and, and I believe I don't have the exact quote what you tweeted out, but essentially that there's no question Ted is at the very bottom of those five, yes. and I, I don't think there's a. I agree with you. What's what's the question? He is clearly the worst character there. Yeah. Right. I mean, is there any debate? No. I mean, he's obviously the main character because the story's about his life, but. He's like so snooty, and like they try to pull the old dork card, but it doesn't really work. And I don't know, it's just not very well written. And he's so cheesy. Yeah, he's cheesy, and I, that's a good point. I, I never really thought about that. That they try to make him this nerd or dork, and he just doesn't pull it off at all. But so once you tweeted, I, I completely agree. There's no question. But at the same time, I don't think the show exists without him. I think as badly written as it is, not just because the plot goes through him. But I think for all their relationships, he's kind of like the hub. They all they all spin around him in most of the whole the whole series. Yeah, I think you have to keep Ted and Lily, but like the other characters are awesome. Marshall, Robin, and Barney. Like I wouldn't imagine the show without him, but if you had to, you could keep doing it. No, it. I think that's true. So if you were going to power rank the rest, I didn't see. Maybe you did it, but where do they all fall? I had Marshall at number one. Barney at number two, no, Robin at number two, Barney at number three, Lily at number four, and Ted at number five. Okay, okay, I I can get behind most of that. Marshall is definitely my first, and I would kind of struggle with where those middle yeah. three fell at. Yeah, it was, it, go ahead. It was, it was just tough ranking those three because I like them all so much. But I think, actually, scratch that. I think Lily's the clear four, just between Robin and Barney at two, three. Lily brings certain appeal to certain audiences that watch, but I, I think as far as a character, she doesn't have a lot of interesting plot lines. She's more just a side piece to most of their stories. Yeah, and she doesn't know how to keep a secret. <laughs> yeah, she kind of falls back into these same cliches uh, through the series. I was telling you off air, I've been rewatching it for, I think, the third time and into the seventh season. It seems like just each season they bring back the same idea, like, oh, Lily's not going to keep that secret. Here we go again. Yeah, she's always interfering <laughs> and stuff. It's kind of how she is. Right. So <laughs> I just thought it was fun. So good stuff. Well, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, Benton, and being a good sport when Berger was not able to make it. And so I really appreciate it. I will, again, tell people that they can find you over at Dynasty League Football. Uh, and they absolutely should do that. Um, on Twitter, you're 
Big Mac, B-I-G-M-A-C, 9812, and you guys should definitely follow Benton on there. As far as Dynasty League football, you gave us kind of the general overview, but do you have any specific articles coming out in the near future or things you're thinking through and kind of researching that people could expect to see in the coming weeks? Yeah, I think I'm going to start working on something in terms of like Vegas odds and how you should approach it from a daily fantasy standard, because I'm of the belief that all Dynasty players should play DFS. Okay, so I thought we were wrapping up, but I'm real curious. Why is that? Uh, I just think uh, I, I think the whole the skills you can get out, like return on investment, how much to spend on player X for X production. It's just it's good practice for dynasty as terms as in terms of the of the uh, off season buying and selling. Okay, yeah, and I think that's it's an underrated skill in dynasty is the actual redraft aspect of it. People talk about building a team and what to do with future picks and stuff like that, but you still want to win your season. That's the ultimate goal. So sometimes people lose sight of that. So it's a, it's a good point. I'll, I'll be interested to see. I think it's brilliant that DLF has been expanding into DFS over the, the last year and then really more this year. So I'll look forward to seeing that stuff. So again, Benton McDonald, find him on Twitter at dynastyleaguefootball.com. Definitely look forward to seeing what you got coming out, Benton. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.